Great song to end on this morning, uh, or uh, before the message. Just, man, that is our goal today. I, I repeat it over and over again. I'm not sure we still get it, but our goal is to, to come to the point of knowing God in our experience well enough that a couple of things happen. Number one is that we feel secure, that we feel uh, not like we did last night when the thunderstorm was happening. I heard a number of testimonies this morning of people that were not feeling secure. Uh, but feeling secure uh, in the thunderstorms of life, and look at me, just using metaphors. Um, but honestly, that we know God is a God of love, and, and we know the truth of his love, the depth of his love, the, the reality that nothing that we do changes anything about his love for us or his, his activity towards us, you know, that he always treats us with love. He always is the same person and just trying to discover who he is in such a way that we are changed by it. But then ultimately also in a way that we have a way of bringing the heart of God to the world around us, that people around us can see the reality of who God is and be changed by who they see in us. And God has just been driving that home for me. I hope he's driving it home for you as well. So we're going to continue to talk about that today, talking about who Jesus is. We're looking at who he is in the, as he's revealed himself in the stories. As we, as we look at him trying to put ourselves in the stories of the Gospels, encounters that Jesus had with people, and trying to see uh, for ourselves, putting ourselves in the stories, seeing for ourselves who he really is, who, his char- who he reveals about himself or what he reveals about himself as he walks in this world and as he had encounters with real people. And so hopefully you're gaining from that. At some point we'll, go, we'll probably have a little something where we'll go back and we'll review, not review necessarily, but we might, I don't know, sit around and just remember some of the things that we said. We might put something in print so we can all kind of remind ourselves of who he is but ultimately, it's not, it's not an exercise, a mental exercise. This is, I hope, becoming an exercise for you of uh, discovery of the person of God. Not just in your mind, but that you're seeing God in, in your experience. Because ultimately, as we will see today, if you don't see God in your experience, then, then you're missing the point. Then, then you're, it really is not a life-changing a life-changing event for you. It's not going to change the way that you feel and do life, and it's not going to change the way that you relate to other people. If you don't have these encounters with God in your, in your life, in the daily experiences of your life, then you're, you're missing the whole point for, what God, you know, for which God created you. He created you to know him in your experience. And so uh, hopefully those things are making sense to you. We're moving that direction. Now, today we're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, we are going to skip the disciples because we already talked about them. We, we started with the disciples and their encounters with Jesus as, they, as he called the different ones. We're also going to skip the story of a leper who was healed because it was one story. It was not a whole lot of different uh, truths than what we gained from last week. Uh, but in the order of the synoptic gospels, the next story that comes up is a story uh, where a healing does occur, but it's, it's bigger than just the healing of, of a man. And so we're going to talk about today the healing of the man who was brought by the four men in Capernaum to, uh, to Jesus 
and, uh, and, and look at, particularly today, how Jesus builds our faith. How Jesus builds our faith. Jesus is the author, as we talked about last week in, Rome, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12. He is the author of our faith. He has to create faith for us. Now, I'm going to say that again because I said it last week and I said it just now, but I don't think we're really understanding it, and I'm going to take some time to, to help you think with me about this idea that Jesus is the creator, the author of true faith in us, that you can't have faith apart from Jesus creating faith in you. You can have faith in, like you have it in people, uh, you can have faith like you have it in a chair that you're sitting in today. But the kind of faith that changes you and causes your life to be dependent upon a person, the person Christ, can only be created by Christ. Now, we can understand this in, in the way of putting faith in people to a certain degree. Some of you today, if, if I said I'm going to be at your house at 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, you have faith that I'm going to show up because you know that when I say I'm going to be there at 8 o'clock, I'm going to be there at 8 o'clock. Unless something terrible happens, I'm probably going to be there early. Okay? Why do you have that faith in me? Those of you that do have that faith in me. Why is it? Because you know me? Why? In what way? Because I always show up early, Right? I'm very punctual, and you've, you've experienced me, right, being punctual in your life, right? I can't say the same for some of you, but you've experienced me being punctual, right? Right, Chris? I'm there. I'm on time, right? That's harsh, bro. Okay? Yeah. So let's take it off of me and put it on Jesus. The same thing's true about Jesus, Faith is produced by experience, right? How can, you, how can you have faith in someone that you've never experienced but only heard about? Um, your faith is, only, is going to be very shallow if it's dependent upon the fact that you've heard about Jesus. Uh, you know, there are, there are some of us that think that we can sit uh, in in coffee shops and places around town where lost people are and have deep, uh, hard conversations with thinking people and that if we win the, uh, the conversation, if we win them over, in other words, we get them to a point where they're stumped in what they believe and we have an answer for them, then they become, they, that, that increases and produces faith. It doesn't. It doesn't. You can't convince somebody to have faith. Now, it might, you might convince them to believe, but the demons also believe in tremble. Faith is something that affects you in a way that it drives you. It affects the way you live your life. Are you living your life in Christ in a way that, that you are trusting in his character because you've experienced him? I'm going to get serious about the joke that I made earlier about last night. We had thunderstorms and lightning and all that stuff going on in our house. So did you. You know, we all responded differently to that. But some of you were open enough to share today that you were very fearful in the middle of that. 
Is that wrong? Are you a bad person? Absolutely not. Everybody heard me say that, right? Say, oh, yeah. You're not a bad person. (laughs) But I got to tell you, I don't ever fear in that. You know why? Because I have had experiences where God has protected me in, in cases like the most dangerous city in the world. And where I felt so at ease and his peace surrounding me and covering me. I've had experiences that I don't, I don't fear for that anymore. I, I, you know, yeah, bad things happen to, to good people, and it may happen tonight, but I trust in God in the middle of that. So fear is an example of that. Fear in that storm last night. All right? Now, this, this sermon is not so that you can come down to the altar today and say, God, I'm sorry for I was fearful last night in the middle of the storm. I do think God wants to carry you through some of those storms, and st- more storms are going to come. And as they happen, you need to experience God in the storm. But my point in all that is all of us have had different experiences. I have a lot more faith than some of you because I'm just because I'm older than you and I've had more experiences with God in life. And Jesus is the author of faith. He creates faith in us. He sustains faith in us. He finds the faith that we have, and he increases it. He finds the places where we can't have faith, and he destroys things in our lives so that we will have faith in him in those areas. He finds the places where we have faith in ourselves and in institutions and in people and in our own ideas, and he tears those apart so that he can be the author of true faith. So, so let's, let's see that this morning in this story. Jesus is the author of faith. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he turned to Capernaum after some days, returned rather, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed in which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sons are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak? Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, that they, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. All right, so in this this story, Jesus does what is necessary to build the faith of religious leaders, of concerned believers, and of this paralyzed man. And I want us to look at all three of those and, and kind of a progression or different stages of faith and find ourselves in the story. Faith is a gift of God. It's not something that we can dig deep within ourselves and find or that we can increase by just straining real hard and hoping, you know, or or by reading more books. God builds faith in us. As I described earlier, it's an organic process, just like eating is an organic process. You eat and you grow. The organic process that Jesus describes in the Word we've talked about and we all know well is the process of abiding, and it's by abiding in Him 
that he creates faith in us. He produces faith by giving us some command to follow, by helping us to overcome the little faith challenge that we have and obey what he asks us to do. And he, he, he increases our faith by showing us his activity in our lives, doing God-exclusive things in our lives that we can't do. And when he does that, revealing the true person that he is, that he is above our circumstances, that he is powerful, that he is loving and giving, and that he is our provider, all these things, that he's our healer, all these things that we've been studying, he shows us that as we walk with him through life and obey him in every aspect of life. We are totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit to do that work in us. And so he builds faith that way. It's an organic process. It's not something that we do. It's something that he does. He builds faith in us. So the branch is birthed out of the vine. The branch doesn't grow on its own. Uh, It has to be the vine doing the work. But some people speak of faith as though it were simply infused into us, like sitting in a hospital bed, unconscious, somebody putting an IV in you and changing the bag and just giving you what you need. But it's not like that. And in this story, we see Jesus creating and growing faith in three different uh, types of people. So the question we want to answer today is, how does Jesus build faith? First of all, he is the author of faith, that our faith finds its origin in Christ. He gives it to us initially. In verse 5 and, and verses 11 and 12, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he arose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. So Jesus, in this encounter with this paralytic, this man is healed of his sickness. And and Jesus gives him faith through the healing. He does something God-exclusive in this man's life to give him the faith that he needs to believe in him. We found last week a number of stories where Jesus healed a number of people. And in in the healings, he gave people faith in him. And because of their, that, that origin of faith, they put their trust in him to be their savior. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, or 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, that is this faith, is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. This, this faith that God gives us, that, that brings us to salvation, is faith that's given to us by God. And in this story, we see Jesus building faith and forgiving sins. The man is healed and forgiven. So how does Jesus build faith in that way? How does Jesus come in and give us the faith that we need to be saved? I don't know how it happened for you. Uh, some of us, it happened because God gave us families of faith. If I were to ask today you, know, you to review your family life and your upbringing, some of you could say, I had a family of faith. My, my family believed in Jesus and, and passed that on to me. And so I believe because, uh, because they taught me and I got to see it in their lives. And then I responded to Christ when he came to me. And Jesus showed me himself through a family of faith. Lots of you probably have that story of people of faith in your life. Some of you have found faith 
in the relationships that you had in this church. That we've baptized a number of you who have come to faith because you have friends who are who are friends that, that know Christ and you've seen God in their lives and and you've watched as God has has done things in their hearts that's drawn you to them. Uh, one of one of our uh, one of our people that have been visiting, not member yet, but is, has been coming now for uh, almost three months because a friend of his had a radically changed life. Jesus changed his life radically. And, he, and on the way home uh, from a trip, that said that he wanted to take this Jesus thing seriously because of what he saw in him. How, how does Jesus do that? How does he give us initial faith? Sometimes it's families of faith. It's people of faith. Other ways, I think, is that he, he uh, experiences, or we have experiences in life, things like in my life. My salvation came on the heels of, of Legionnaire's disease. I grew up in the church, had lots of information about God, but I didn't have faith in God. I had Legionnaire's disease, thought I was going to die from it, and God orchestrated a beautiful event so that I would know, so that I would believe that. It, was a, it had been discovered in 1977, I got it in 78, and all I knew was that everybody that got it died from it. And so here I am in a hospital. I did a paper as a junior in high school on the, on the Legionnaire's disease. Most of you know that. But it, I had it in my mind. God took the time to orchestrate an event so that I would, would come to the end of myself in that experience. And I would see him and know, know that I needed him. And so it was a negative event in my life, but it was a positive. It had a positive ending. It was something that God used. He brought me to the end of myself so that I would put my faith in him. And so God was calling me. He was drawing me as Jesus talks about. He was drawing me to himself. Sometimes he does that by building us up, and sometimes he does it by breaking us down. In my case, and that, it was breaking me down, but it was an event. It was a God-exclusive event. It was obvious that God was working and moving in my life. And as a result of his movement in my life, he gave me faith. He helped me to trust in him. Some of you have had experiences where you were in a terrible situation and, and you, didn't put you, you didn't have faith in God and God came in and, and built you up. He came in and provided for you and showed you himself or some believer came into your life and prayed for you and you were healed of a disease or some, something uh, positive happened in your life. You were blessed are you, you, you are, uh, uh, we have some people that are in our, were in our church, they're now back in Washington, who had a tragic thing happen in their life, and, and their, this girl's first encounter with the church was a beautiful body of believers who came and provided for her and loved her and took care of her. And so sometimes it's a building up, sometimes it's a tearing down, but experiences in life are also that are orchestrated by God are, are ways that Jesus puts faith in us to believe. And so Jesus creates faith in us. Notice it in your own life. Make use of it if you haven't made use of that faith. The enemy is working to destroy the faith that God has put in you. And whether you are a person who believes that once God puts faith in you, you can't re- reject that, or you believe that, that you have a choice in the matter, it doesn't really matter to me. The truth is, is if, if God is working in you, if you have faith to believe and you haven't acted on it, act on it. If God's put faith in you through other believers, through your family, through circumstances in your life, use the faith that God's given you. This man does. God, Jesus comes into his life, and we see the, very initial, the initial faith of a, a brand-new believer 
who has an encounter with Jesus and he gives him what he needs to believe. And he does the same for all of us. The second thing, though, is that he builds faith by responding to our existing faith. Look at it with me in verses 4 and 5. And when they could, could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. So here's what happens in this case. They heard about Jesus and believed in him. These four men heard about Jesus and believed in him. And, and they, not only did they hear about him, but they acted on what they understood about Jesus. They acted on the faith that they had. And so their faith is growing, and he's, Jesus is building their faith by responding to their existing faith. They took the faith that they had, and they brought the man to Jesus, and they put him before Jesus. That's all they could do. That's the, all the faith that they had. It was to take. They couldn't heal him themselves, but they had the faith to bring him to Jesus, and they do. They lay him before Christ, and Jesus heals him. Now, remember, we're not looking at doctrine. We're not looking at evangelism. We're not looking at what we're looking at is Jesus. And what I see in this story is that Jesus is building, increasing, growing the existing faith of these four men. Jesus notices their faith. The Bible says that he responded to the faith of the four men and acted. Jesus saw their faith, as weak as it might have been or as strong as it might have been. You know, I've heard sermons where, you know, obviously they, there was a lot going on. They, they tear the roof apart and, you know, risk whatever ridicule or whatever uh, pain they might receive as a result of tearing this man's house up and dropping this, dropping this friend of theirs before Jesus. There's all kinds of great implications there. But what I want to see is Jesus in the story. And Jesus sees their faith, and he rewards their faith and increases their faith. He sees their faith, and then he increases their faith. He responds to it. And what I want to tell you guys today is that some of you think, because you don't have enough faith to sleep in the middle of a storm, <laughs> Satan has convinced you that, that you are a pitiful, that you're a sorry Christian, that, that Jesus is looking at you and saying, where is your faith? The best, the best version of Jesus saying that to, to the disciples that I've ever seen was Jesus laughing, and I believe that's what it was. When the disciples, when Jesus calms the storm, he says, oh, you have a little faith. The, the best version I've seen of that, picture version, video version, was Jesus laughing. I was like, where is y'all's faith? You know, laughing at it. He, he is not offended by the fact that you don't have enough faith. But let me just encourage you, act on the faith that you have. Maybe you don't have enough faith to trust God in your finances to give 20% of your income to God every, every, or to the church every, every month. Or to, on a, in a random situation to, to take your paycheck and give it to some circumstance or some situation when God says give it. Maybe your faith is not there, but maybe you do have enough faith to take a friend out to lunch and pay for it when it doesn't look like your budget's going to take care of it. You know, trust God where you can. When God leads you to do something, obey what he says where you can. You know, it, maybe there's some areas of your life that you, are, that you have sin, maybe anger, bitterness, jealousy, whatever. You, uh, you, you, you have this sin in your life, and you live in it, and you, you, it's, it sticks in your life, and you've tried and tried and tried to get rid of it in your life. Here's what I want to tell you is true about that, that sin in your life. The problem is you don't have enough faith in that area, but you do have faith in other areas, and, and my, my word to you is if you allow 
God to have his way in the areas where you do have faith. Exercise the faith that you have, that God will look down at that and say, all right, we're going to grow your faith. He responds to the faith that you, that you present to him. I didn't have enough faith um, in my finances to be able to trust God with anything. I was in control, absolute control for most of my early, the early years of our marriage. But here's what happened in my marriage. My marriage was falling apart, and God told me something to do, and it didn't make sense, but it was very clear what he said. I obeyed what he said, and my marriage got better. And then later on, my finances got better. Why? Because I had faith in a person. The same person that made my marriage better was also asking for control of my finances. Does that make sense? If you can trust somebody, if you can trust Jesus in one area, and you walk in that area, operate in the faith that you have, then watch how that ultimately cycles back around and God gives you a command in another area and your faith is stronger. That's one of the things that Jesus does in this story and it's one of the things that he does to build our faith. He builds our faith by responding to our existing faith. Satan would have you beat yourself up about the fact that you don't have faith enough to obey in some hard area of your life. And I want to say to you today that God would have you to to know that he is responding to the faith that you have in the other areas of your life. Walk in faith. Operate in the faith that you have and watch what God does in increasing your faith in other areas. Third thing, Jesus builds faith in groups. I thought it was interesting this week, and you'll see why in a minute, that, that God would bring this lesson to us this week. Jesus builds faith in groups. Mark 2, 3 says, They came bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. So there are four men that that came together. And I don't know why. I just know that this is true. That God works in groups. He works in communities that pray together, that work together, that that ask God together, that seek God together. Matthew chapter uh, 18, verses 19 and 20 is a good example of that. Jesus said, again, I say to you, if, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where, there, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. There, there's something that happens when God's people together do things in his name. Now, what does it mean? We sang songs about his name today. Uh, no sweeter name uh, than the name of Jesus. What do we mean by that? Does it, do we mean that the name Jesus really sounds cool? I think sometimes that's what we think. You know, yeah, well, Jesus' name, you know, it's cool. Especially the sus part, boy, I really like that sound. You know, I don't know what it is. It's not that. The name of Jesus is his character. It's his person. It's, the, it's all the characteristics that we've been learning about God by experience and in his word. It's all the things that represent who he is. It is his glory, ultimately, is, is, is the weight of who he is. It's the beauty of the person of who, who Christ is. We talk about praying in the name when, when a body of believers gets together and agrees together that God's will is something and we pray together for it and, and it happens. It increases faith. You know, you might not have enough faith alone, but if you're praying with some other people about something and, and their, their faith encourages you and together as a church, you're praying for something you know is God's will and then God does it, then your faith grows. Jesus is a builder of faith, and this way he does it is he uses the body, he uses communities together. 
I've shared a number of stories about friends of mine who, were, who became believers, but one particular atheist friend of mine became a believer through no other effort but the prayer of believers. I chose at the time to involve a, a few groups of people, the, the small group that I was involved in, and at the time I was also leading a choir or a worship team of people, and we prayed together every time we met for this guy. Prayed for him by name. I asked them regularly to pray for him by name. And all week long we would pray and they would ask about him. And I would give report, updated reports, which were very few, because I didn't even have an encounter with him from November till March, really. Uh, I had one or two times that I saw him. So all we had was praying together. But you know what happened? At the end, in March, when he prayed to receive Christ, and I went back to those people. And I said, you guys are going to freak out. Guess what happened? Man, tears, uh, faith increase, life's change. Those people that were praying for him with me, agreeing that God wanted him to be saved because we knew that was God's will for him, that God had brought him into my life and that God would grow him to believe. Ultimately, this guy believed, and it didn't just affect me, and it didn't just affect the guy who, who became a believer. It affected everybody that was praying with me for him. Jesus builds faith in us. He grows faith in us when we pray together for things. I've asked this week, if those of you who are on Facebook, on our Facebook page, know this, and then our elders. Uh, but some of you may not know, but this past week on Monday, I didn't connect these things until yesterday, actually. But on Monday, God laid on my heart to, to ask the church to pray for the sale of the property at 251. Now, here's when I normally ask for people to pray for stuff. It's when it's really urgent, right? It's, okay, we've got to sell it or else we're going to have to lose, what, lose our building or, you know, whatever. You know, we're in a real tight financial. We need to sell that space so we can hurry up and do something. There is no pressure. Another time I do is when my faith lacks. There is no lack of faith. So when God started putting my heart to tell you guys to pray, I started asking, well, why? Why do you want us to pray about this? Why do you want the church to pray about this? Uh, specifically, and, and why do I feel this pressing need to do it? And and so I I went ahead and put it on Facebook. This is what happened that morning. I put it on Facebook, sent it out to you guys, asked you guys, said, you know, I believe God said that we need to be praying for the sale of 251 McKithen together. And then as soon as I put that on Facebook, I went on in my devotional time that morning. The next thing I read was all about the power of praying together, which I don't have time to read today, but if any of you want to hear it, I've got things written in my journal. It just freaked me out. The guy was saying, just do it, okay? I don't have to tell you why, but you know what? There's power in prayer. I'm going to grow the faith of, you, of the people. And then every day this week as I prayed, and hopefully you have too, and I encourage you, if you haven't, start praying now. I don't know what all God wants to do in your life, but I do know some things that he said to me this week as I prayed and asked God, what are you doing? Why are we praying together for that sale of that property? And some of the things that God said this past week were, number one, there are some of our people who are not praying and asking God for things in their own life. You're not asking God about things that your decisions you're making in your life right now. You're not praying and asking God and waiting on God to tell you what to do. And, and you're, you're never going to have your own experiences with God until you realize that he wants to speak to you in your own life. He wants you to ask him about how to raise your kids, about what job to take, about how to respond to 
uh, to people that are angry in your life about how to handle certain circumstances and situations that come up, uh, how, what degree to major in, what uh, career to take. All those things are God wants to, to show you who he is through those things. And so here's one thing that if you'll pray with us, you're going to get to see God. Now, I don't know what he's going to do. I have absolutely no idea what he's going to do, but I do know one thing he said is he wants some of you who are not spending any time asking him for things to see what happens when we start praying together for 251 McKithen. So pray for 251 McKithen. Make it a personal experience. When, you know, when Israel was going through the wilderness uh, with, with Moses and, and something would come up, some problem would come up, Israel would panic and Moses would just go to God. Moses wanted the people to go to God, but they would never go to God. Go to God, okay? Go to God for 251 McKithen. Don't have anything to pray for in your own life? There's one to pray with us about. And let's together rejoice here whenever God's completing whatever he's going to do over there. Let's rejoice together. Let's experience God together. Let's let our faith increase by having that experience together. All right? Another thing that God told me through this was that he wanted to show us his character. He wants to show us his character. Again, I don't know what aspect of his character he wants to show us, but he wants us to not be focused on the blessing of selling the property and getting the money. All right? Now, there's two things tied to that. Number one, a lot of you would pray if you thought, oh, okay, just pray. It'll be like a formula, and then God will give us money, and we'll pay off our building. Okay, that's cool. And I'll use that in my life. Don't miss the point. That is not the point. Yes, God is more than capable of giving us, and has already told us, not to take less than what would pay this property off. All right, so we know he's going to pay this property off. That's done. But what he wants to show us is his character. He wants us to focus on who he is, that he is our provider, that he owns everything, that it's all about him. And so whatever he wants to show you through this, we want to focus on his person, not on just the blessing. And I got burned this week, later on in the week, because here's what I've done. I'm guilty of this. Also tied to that same idea is I, I feel like it validates our church when I can tell people, see what God's doing? See the blessing of what God's doing? And it's not any, you know, and what, I've, what I have talked about with people in this town is we have two buildings that are paid off. I can't tell you how many times I've said that to people. Now, God gave us those blessings. Don't miss the point. <laughs> but why am I saying those things? Because it validates, in my mind, it validates the, that our church is a good church because God did something for us. Man, that totally goes against everything I believe. God did something for us because it's who he is. God takes care of his kids, right? And it's not whether we do it right or don't do it right. God provides for his people, and it's not based on us. And so I got caught in the middle of that waiting for this blessing to be sold off so I can go and tell more people, say, now we got two churches paid off. What do y'all got? You know, that's really kind of the attitude. I got caught with that this week. And so God wants to show us something about himself. But it's not about paying off the property. That's nothing. Can you imagine how much that is beans to God who owns the world to pay off a little piece of property, bring somebody to buy it? It's nothing. But there is something that he wants to do. And here's what I know for all of us in the context of today's message and this week and this prayer need for us is that God wants to grow your faith. God wants to grow your faith. 
He wants you to take the faith that you have and join it together with the rest of the body. And let's pray together and ask God to sell that piece of property. Let's let him have his way in that. And then the last thing is Jesus builds faith by destroying false perceptions. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were present. It doesn't really show us that in the, in the uh, Mark passage. But in Luke chapter 5, he describes who the, the religious leaders are that are there. It says in, in chapter 5, verse 17 of Luke, one of those days when he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was on him, was with him to heal. All right, and let me just, by the way, make my point from last week one more time. The power of the Lord was on him to heal. Jesus didn't just heal everybody. Remember that? Here in this case, in this moment, the power of the Lord was on him to heal. He was teaching a bunch of people in his house, and then the power of the Lord came on him to heal. But there's these religious people. Jesus knows already what's in the hearts of these religious people. He knows the hearts of these men were skeptical. But he didn't resent it like some of us do. He didn't resent the fact that that these people doubted everything he was said, that they were trying to catch him in a lie or trying to catch him saying something that they could crucify him for, and they thought they had him. But imagine what it must have been like, first of all, for the religious folks when Jesus told them what they were thinking before they spoke it. In this case, it says that it was in their hearts. This is what was in their hearts. They hadn't spoken it yet, and Jesus interrupts them and and says, okay, I know what you're thinking. And they go like, what? Wait. So Jesus is coming and building faith by destroying the false perceptions that these guys have of him. How can he forgive sins when he's not comparing himself to God? He's acting like he's God. Their perceptions was he wasn't God. And then he blows their minds by reading their minds. (laughs) Right? First of all. And some of us act like Jesus isn't able to answer the complicated questions of those people in our lives who are super smart, skeptics. I just want to ask you to relax. He is able. He is able, more than able. He knows the questions that plague the hearts of the skeptic. He knows it before they ever speak it, before they ever reveal it to you. He knows those thoughts and questions that plague their hearts, and he is absolutely going to get into their business. Just pray for them. And they're going to be surprised one day when Jesus shows up in their skepticism. Uh, I shared some of last, last week, I think, about the story of the case for Christ, of Lee Strobel's story, the movie that's out. I encourage you again this week to go see it if you haven't done it before it goes away. But what a great story because here's a man who was a skeptic. He, was a, he laughed and mocked those who were believers. And he then ultimately was so irritated by it it was messing his life up and his marriage up that he decided he was going to go and prove, his, prove that Jesus, uh, that what Christians believe was wrong. And you think Jesus didn't know that? And it's funny that one of the guys that he was working with, uh, one of the other reporters, told him to go and treat it like he, like he treated any other story. And that was wisdom on that guy's part because God was out there. And he goes out to try and prove God wrong. And before he's over with, he has more evidence that Christ is 
true and real and that what he what uh, he did on the cross was real and that he rose from the dead and that he loved him and could save him uh, there's more proof for that than what he believed and so his attempts to disprove ended up in a life change for him and uh, believing in Christ and giving his life to Christ and ultimately a movie being written about his life crazy Jesus knows he knows what's in the heart of the skeptic and he is absolutely without a doubt just pray for it he does this. This is what he does in the hearts of a skeptic. He builds faith by destroying their false perceptions. So pray for it in the lives of your unbelieving friends. Don't despise them. Don't be upset whenever they laugh at you or mock you or when they say that what you believe is stupid. Don't be upset about that. Pray that God will do what he does, that he will destroy their false perceptions. So Jesus comes in. And he meets them in their minds before they ever even say what they believe. And people may be able to fool us by their words, but they're never going to fool Christ. And some of you maybe have been pretending that you have faith and you don't really, and you've been playing a game. Look, Jesus knows your heart. Ask him your questions. Pretending is not going to build faith, but ask your questions and let God come in and take care of destroying those false perceptions. But then Jesus also gives them a powerful manifestation of his person so that they can know that he is God's son. Look at verse 9. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Look, skeptics today need to see the truth for themselves. You know it, I know it. But we got to remember that our arguing is not what's going to bring them to understand and see the truth. Jesus is going to have to give them what they need to see that he is God's son and that he has the power to save him. Jesus has to be the one to do that. You can't do that for him. Now, you can be a representative of Christ. Don't get me wrong. Please. Love Jesus in front of people. Please let them see what he's doing in your heart and in your life, and that's going to cause them to ask questions. But ultimately, these skeptics are going to have to have Jesus come in and take care of business. I love my son-in-law's story. I may not tell it all right, but I do know this. I know he was an atheist, and I knew that he thought he had it all figured out, and, and he had an encounter at a funeral with the Holy Spirit that he could not describe in any other way other than that God must be real. And he moved from an atheist to an agnostic in that moment. And God was moving him, taking away his, his false perceptions of who God was by getting in his head and taking his own brain and using it on his behalf to, to destroy those false perceptions by helping him to see the reality that that, that body was dead and, and, and even though it's sitting there, there is no life in it. Where's the life? Where's the life that was in that body? And all of a sudden, he realized there's got to be more than just the physical. And God started working in his life. Look, God is big enough. He's able. Just pray for God to work in the minds and hearts of your, of your unbelieving friends. And, and I would say this in closing today. In regard to these that are skeptics, particularly those who, you know, who I hope you are building relationships with because I don't know that a lot of churches in town are encouraging their members to, to build relationships with skeptics. 
non-believers, hardcore non-believers of other faiths and religion, of other religions, not faiths, of other religions, non-Christian religions, of people who are, are, who are atheist and universalist and um, who, who believe that uh, relativism is, is what defines who we are and what's right for this world and all these different types of beliefs. Build relationships with those people and pray for them and ask Jesus to do this work of destroying their false perceptions of who he is and to use you to do that. Arguing is not going to get that done in today's culture, not in, not in central Louisiana, in my opinion. I think arguing is just going to, all it's going to do is push those people further and further away. They've been told by too many people that they're ignorant and that, they, that, uh, that what they believe is stupid. And they're, they're hurt and their hearts are hurt and they won't receive that. But you let them see a life that's been changed and you follow the commands of God and you pray for them and you do exactly what God tells you to do in each one of their lives and watch how God moves and works. And see if maybe one of those atheists might not someday be a seminary student working on his master of divinity. One of your friends. Nobody would have ever said that, that Jake would have been where he is today. That's, a, that's Jesus coming in and taking a skeptic and destroying his false perceptions and recreating him from the inside out. So good news today. If you've been feeling bad about your faith, if you feel like, man, I just don't have enough faith, what's the matter with my faith, and, I, and, and you, are, you are feeling guilty and bad about your faith, good news today. Jesus is the author of faith. If you want more faith, join him. Let him create it for you. If you're not yet a believer, ask him to show you that he's real. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Ask him to give you enough faith to believe. If you are a believer and there's some areas in your life that you've been holding on to, areas of sin or doubt or fear or whatever, and, and, you, and you are constantly saying uh, no to the ways that God would have you to operate in these areas of your life, then then do this. Operate in faith in the areas that you do have. And don't let Satan tell you you're a loser because there's some areas that you don't give to God. Walk in the areas of faith that you do have and let Jesus come in and take your faith, the faith that you have and increase it. Because not only is he the author of faith, but he's also the one that increases our faith or builds our faith by responding to our existing faith. And as some of you here today... Uh, have not been practicing your faith by seeking God for things in your life and your faith is not growing. And, and I want to encourage you to, to join this body, this community of faith, and let's pray together for that property on 251 McKinson. And let's pray together for people in our life groups. And let's believe God for things. Let's ask God what is his intent in certain things in our life groups. And maybe take a little more time to take two or three requests instead of maybe 10 or 12 requests and let's ask God about those as life groups. And let's, let's seek God for his will and then pray for his will and watch God work. Let God increase our faith as we do praying together and ministry together, seeking God for what his will is for this body. And then, as I said in closing, praying for those people who are skeptics and believing that Christ will do what he needs to do to destroy those false perceptions. So let's pray for that this morning as we close. Father, thank you for this revelation today that we are not responsible for the gift of faith. We can't go buy it or we can't earn it. 
that it's a gift, Lord, as true as any other gift it would be. Lord, that the gift of salvation, the gift of faith is all directly from you. And that, Jesus, you are the author of faith. So today we come with our faith where it is. And we ask you to increase it. Lord, if there's anyone here today that has never put their faith in you and trust in you, I pray that you would increase their faith to believe like you did for my son-in-law and for for all of us here. Give us whatever experience we need to be able to put our faith in you for salvation. But Lord, most of us are saved and we just need to have more faith. So I pray for, for the body as a whole as we seek you together for 251 McKithen, that you would grow our faith in that process. But Father, that each, of, each one of us would take responsibility for seeking you in all, these, all the areas of our life, for all the decisions that we're making. Lord, that we could see you work and move in that. We could obey you and come to know you uh, through our own experiences with you. Father, we all have friends, too, that are lost, that are, that are out there, that are skeptics, that have all the reason in the world not to believe. And so, Father, I pray today, as we have those people in our minds, in our hearts, that you would destroy their false perceptions of you and show them the beauty of who you are. Use us any way that you can in that process. Help us to know how to be a part. But we trust in you for that. Thank you that you're a God who is the author of faith.